This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to the podcast. And this is a very special edition because we're having our first guest in our Lockdown Heroes series. And this is all based around SOVT and Oren Bowder, who's our SOVT expert, is going to be telling you what it's all about. Mm. And you know what? This is podcast number 10. Number 10. Yeah. Amazing that we got there. I just want to say something about uh, why even the idea of lockdown heroes came about. You know, there's some really heroic stories Mm. that we've been um, hearing about within our voice community. And you know, how people have navigated moving from in-person singing lessons around the tech of working online, and particularly how people who run their own theatre companies have been working, you know, sort of um, youth companies, and people who work with choirs wanting to still be there Mm. for their communities. And it's been an enormous challenge, and just watching people navigate that has frankly been inspiring. I think one of the great things about working in music or working with the human being, actually, is how creative you can be. Mm. And we have watched people really grab the creative thing and go with it. And I think as well, musicians are collaborators. You know, most of the time we're not doing this performing thing on our own. Mm. And I think that one of the reasons why uh, people have been able to move on at this time is because they've been talking together. They've been collaborating. And that actually brings me to more or less how we got to meet Oren, which was through our informal Let's Talk kind of networking and brainstorming. Uh, sessions that we had been running in person in yeah. London yeah. every so often. And that's really where we got to know Oren. Yeah. So I want to do a little lead into Oren here. Those of you who are watching on YouTube, I don't know how well you can see here, there are many, many straws here. Gillian is holding up a glass full of straws. And this one, which is uh, quite is a the, classic as well. This is the Dr. Vox. The Dr. Vox. Um We'll put a link to the Dr. Vox How about in, this in the one? show notes. And this uh, is the mask. Which we might hear more about later. Yes. <laughs> that wasn't me putting my hand over Gillian's mouth. That was her putting the, the mask on. Okay, so now as we hand over to Oren, something I wanted to say was, first of all, of course, we got the OB1 mm-hmm. Mark 1. That's the straw. This is... Obi-Wan Mark II. And I have to confess, Oren, as you come in, I didn't quite know how to unpack it. I got myself in a right mess. I took this off. <laughs> and uh, then couldn't work out how to blow down it. No, no, I had a lot of trouble. I, I actually didn't because... realise that this wonderful thing was in there. I think I was trying to blow through it. Yeah, yeah. Which because didn't work because the wonderful thing that Gillian is talking about is that I love this. This is one of my favourite bits, actually, which mm. is an extendable brush to clean the inside of your metal straw. Love that. So shall we bring him in? Go on, then. Let's bring him in. Hello, Oren. Thank you for being Hello. our first guest. <laughs> hey, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. Welcome to the podcast. So, so, how should we start? I mean, what we... Well, Lauren, how did you start? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, weren't you originally a psychology student? Mm. I was, yes. Um, actually, even before that, it, my, my story is just this 
wacky story of uh, indecision, I suppose. Um, so even before psychology, I was set to go to uni and uh, and study graphic design. And um, I got to the open day for that. <laughs> I literally took one look and I was like, I can basically do all of this stuff already on Photoshop and I don't really understand why I'm here. Yeah. And so I kind of went back and I revisited and I was like, okay, right. I, I'm going to have a serious think about what I want to do with my life. Um, and it took me down the psychology route. And so I went to uni and I studied psychology, um, neuropsychology and music in particular, um, looking at ways to improve people's musical ability using novel new brain stimulation techniques. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got started. So you were Um, already doing music before you went to, to uni, but how were you, how were you doing music? What were you doing? Before uni? Mm. Um, I, so from the age of like 14, I was at um, just a local theatre group. Um, they, were, they were just a local school and it was more towards drama. And then one day they were like, okay, it's our show coming up. Uh, we, they had this sort of elaborate thing planned um, and they didn't have any specifically tall males to, to fill a role. Um, and I was the only one. And they were like, well, you've just got to do it. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not a singer. I don't sing. I'll, I'll do all the acting stuff. That's cool. I'm, I'm not going to do dancing, certainly. And I'm definitely not singing. Anyway, they convinced me and it was so much fun. And I was hooked and I was like, okay, right. I want to I wanna explore this more. And so that evolved my pathway through, um, through singing, basically. Excellent. <laughs> Well, I'm just interested because I didn't know you'd studied neuropsychology. I knew you'd studied um, psychology. What attracted you especially to the, the neuro side of it? It was actually it was it was a function more of what I wanted to do research wise, mm-hmm. um, because I knew I wanted to do something in terms of stimulating people's brains to see if we can find ways to improve um, musical ability in in general it's it's kind of any learning task but the focus at that time was musical ability um, and I knew it was a component that I needed to understand in order to fulfill that requirement of my of my thesis mm. um, so that's kind of why I went down that route as opposed to just being generalized Okay, and I remember a couple of things that when we had our very first let's talk meeting that I was really struck by you saying that because of the research you'd done, the reason why you were involved in music was because of the impact of music on the brain and how it improves neural function. Yeah. Do you want to say a bit more about that, what you found out from your research? Yeah, so the the study that I was doing was using uh, novel new brain stimulation techniques. Um, They're typically called uh, on the internet binaural beats, Um, and it's basically two tones presented to uh, one tone to one ear, one tone to the other ear, and the difference between those tones are in accordance to a brain frequency, a brainwave frequency. Mm. And the research that I was doing then was how can I use these techniques to see if we can improve the learning of a novel melody task. And what we did, we we created a a study um, in which the person was presented with either a alpha wave frequency, beta or a sham frequency. And they had to 
go through kind of like a matrix table after listening to a novel melody and try and reconstruct that melody without any knowledge of music. They literally just had to like listen to pictures and select the right ones in order. And the data that we got back um, was very much in favor of alpha frequency being a significant uh, factor in increasing people's ability to both uh, recall and recreate this novel melody as compared to beta and sham. Beta and sham were, were relatively similar. There was a slight improvement um, in beta, but there was a significant improvement in alpha, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty cool, uh, especially as an undergrad. Well, I was just about to say, you are describing something that is not a typical undergrad level the- um, thesis, really, no. is it? I mean, that's... It's not, no. no. I, yeah, I had to fight for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, typically, the way it worked was... Um, you go to a supervisor and your supervisor has like a, a set list of topics mm. um, and projects that you can um, work on in collaboration with other psychologists um, and other students. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, I don't really find any of these particularly interesting. Can I do something else? And I sort of had to prove that I that I was capable and committed to doing it before they would let me. Um, and they did. And it was... I think one of the most fun projects I have done in terms of learning experience. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was really cool. That's so interesting. So it it seems that you're probably a natural researcher. And uh, as a psychology student, you would have had to do some stats as well. Uh, So you're kind of well prepared for where you went next. So where did you go next? Yeah, where did you go next? (laughs) So... Um, down the singing route and specifically towards straw phonation and, and SOVT. Um, well, and this is kind of, this first is, of all, t- Darren, this, tell us what SOVT actually stands for. Just for those who don't so, know. Sure. So semi-occluded vocal tract. So in essence, um, you know, this, the, the bit that you're talking out of your mouth space is your unoccluded vocal tract, essentially. Um, if you put anything in the way of that to reduce that spacing, then you occlude it partially. And so it's just a, a reduction of the aperture in some way at any point along the vocal tract. Great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, User-friendly um, so, scientific explanation. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, we've got that too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was... Basically, I was in a lesson with my coach um, and I was working, I think, and I, I've I've quoted this before, so I'm going to stick to it, but I, I, I'm like 90% certain it was this song, uh, Prayer. Um, and I just couldn't get the high notes. And I was like, this ain't happening. Let's look at something else. I'm kind of fed up with this. And the coach that I was working with at the time was like, no, we're going to get it. Let's just see what things we have available to us to help us. Um, and then he gave me a straw and I kind of looked at him like, I, I don't need a drink right now. Like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and um, obviously he kind of explained what it was about. I was really skeptical and he was like, look, let's just try it. Let's just see what happens. Um, and we played about a bit and I did it and I got the notes with straw phonation. And I guess from then I was just hooked and I just coming from the background and kind of the mindset I had, I needed to understand and know why that was a thing that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously that spiraled into this crazy rabbit hole of, of of science and research and stuff. And that's kind of where I've ended up now. Because the, the straw the, that you first developed, that was in development um, even when we were doing our first Let's Talk 
Yes. Because it was one of the things you talked about. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the things that we encourage in the Let's Talk is for people to bring their plans and then we can discuss the plans and help people move on. And then, of course, lockdown happened. Mm. So you'd, yes. you'd, I mean, first of all, you'd already gone into manufacture and I think it might be interesting to to hear about how you dealt with the whole manufacturing thing. Yeah. And then, then we can talk about what happened with lockdown because you were already in production and sales, weren't you, when lockdown happened? Yeah, so what happened was um, I started selling the version one in 2019, mm-hmm. um, I think like late August 2019. And I almost sort of two months into that, I was getting a lot of really good feedback, a lot of good um data from the people that were using them and lots of things for improvement. And so I pretty much straight away went into um, like prototyping mode and just sort of rapidly engineered um, some improvements. Uh, As of sort of late November, um, I updated our schematics and our our technical drawings with our manufacturing partner. Mm. And we were supposed to start manufacturing in December ready for um a sort of early february release then obviously the region of the world that we get things manufactured in started experiencing significant problems with covid Mm. um and then as a result of that the factory just shut down and it was closed well it it reopened with a skeleton crew uh in late february and that crew basically half of our stuff was like complete half was raw material so everything we use is stainless steel 304 um so it's food grade and it has to go through a very particular process in order to prepare it for manufacturing and so we just had like raw materials sat there we had like half completed units sat there um and everything was kind of just a bit of a mess and they they basically said look we we can't manufacture what we want on this on the staffing that we have mm-hmm. it just it just wasn't possible um and then they went through a second wave of lockdown. And I was like, right, okay, we're in we're in trouble now. I'd ran out of stock by that point of the version one. I had nothing to sell. I had a version two that was just sat on a production line. Um, then we went into lockdown shortly after that. And I was like, right, okay, this this might be the end for this project. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. It was like it was like you do something now to try and solve things, leave it or write and write it out and just see what happens or just collapse entirely. And I was like, I don't think I like any of these options. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically what I did, I basically just put it on pre-order. Um, and I said to people, look, this is the situation. Mm. Um, it is coming, but you can pre-order it now at a lower price to secure that price. Mm. Um, and you can be one of the first to receive it when it's actually released. Um, and I kind of left it at that in terms of like product development. And I moved over to creating an online course that was about the techniques and about the science mm-hmm. to kind mm-hmm. of bridge that gap initially. Um, I think in the end, the factory didn't even come back online fully until like mid April I think it was mm. then they I was like right how quickly can we do this and so we blasted through production um 
May was still a bit of a, a troublesome time. And then I think I finally got them sometime in um, June. And then I was relatively at ease. There were there are still problems, but relatively at ease. So back um, up a moment, because because I know it's a lot. So <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. This. And also you've glossed over certain things which I really think need to be lifted out and examined, which is first of all, you've designed something. Yeah, you're a psychology student. Sure. <laughs> you've been working in the arts. Now what you've gone in, into is manufacturing. I mean, you know, how does one make that's, that step? Because yeah, frankly, you know, someone working in the arts is quite terrifying. So you, um, yeah. First of all, you you design something. Um, you then found a manufacturer, which mm. is another big step, and got it manufactured. And you had to go through the whole process. Mm. And I also want to know from you, just in passing, what the design was and why you made it, because there are certain things about that mm. straw that are really special. So that's what came out of the research and development phase. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Oh, to unpack that. So. <sighs> Um, the, d- the design stuff, when I was at uni, actually, um, I had a crazy medical experience and there was lots of stuff going on. I had to take like two and a half years uh, deferral of study because I was in hospital for a bit. And throughout that time, the surgeries and the interventions I received were almost archaic. Um, the technologies and the interventions hadn't really changed much relatively since like the 80s and I kind of almost straight away started thinking okay how do I try and make my experiences of this better um and I got in contact with the engineering department at my uni um and I said look I'm a psych student I'm not an engineering student but I need help can you help me and they just welcomed me with open arms and it was just the most wonderful thing. It was incredible. They gave me access to SolidWorks, which is um, a CAD software, so 3D design software on the computer. They gave me access to their industrial size. I mean, like 3D printers, this, literally the size of the room that I'm in currently. It is mad. Um, and a friend of mine um, who lives in Sweden is an is an engineer and we spent literally every evening for like six to eight months on skype together him teaching me how to use solidworks um and so i designed these kind of uh, medical devices and, and components and attachments to try and solve the problem that i had at the time and still do have and um I, I kind of left at that because then I went back to studying and I was like, okay, this is manageable. This is fine now. I want to complete my degree. Um, then obviously moving forward from that, I encountered this problem in the singing world in terms of, you know, straws not being, or rather teachers using straws, um, the same straw for everybody mm-hmm. as opposed to yes. being specific and mm-hmm. generalizing mm-hmm. to uh, the person they're working with. And I said, okay, right. I want to understand this a bit more. I want to know what's going on here so I can use the skills that I had learned to redesign and redevelop essentially the straw, but for the voice. Yes. Um, and I'll fully admit, I did not do this completely by myself. Um, another friend of mine is an engineer and we kind of collaborated a little bit. Um, I brought the knowledge of the voice and the theoretical understanding and he brought the technical know-how to you know, create these um, beautiful 
design manufacturing schematics mm. for a factory to understand and mm. go, okay, this thing that was in somebody's head, I know how to reproduce this. Mm. Um, and so that's how we collaborated on that. But yeah, it was just a function of understanding what needed to have happened as air is moving f- through a tube and how to modify and adapt that such that we create an environment that we want for the voice, as opposed to it being an environment that we're just given by virtue of the straw that we happen to pick up. Mm. Um, So you created something that is extendable and changeable. Yes. And made of metal. Yes. Why the made of metal thing? Yes, a specific reason. Yeah. Um, So... Obviously, teachers, vocalists, if we're doing these kind of interventions, we're use, we're chugging through a lot of plastic mm-hmm. or a lot of paper, um, and it's not sustainable for the environment. Fortunately, in the UK at the moment, we have banned disposable plastic yeah. straws, which is great. That's very recent, um, though, isn't it? Is, it is, a couple very of Very recent, yeah. very recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a matter of, I don't want our industry to contribute to to this enormous amount of plastic waste. I think it was like 4 million plastic straws or something per year Mm. that finds its way into the ocean. Um, And there was a better solution. That solution for me and the product that I want to develop was stainless steel. Um, It's food safe. It's relatively cheap to, to use. It's very easy to form and mold and manipulate into all these different kind of shapes and structures that we need for the device that I wanted. Mm. Um, and it doesn't really damage the environment much. Like you can recycle it. Um, mm. You can just melt that down and bring something new from, from its molten state if you wanted. So it was a very versatile material that I felt had less of a environmental impact mm. than plastic or paper whilst providing greater benefits to the singer and completely usable that's the point yeah it's t- it's sure. totally usable <laughs> yeah. i mean and hence the hashtag one singer one straw yeah which is great and i mean you can use you could use it to stir your tea <laughs> or your cocktail <laughs> i really want i to. cannot recommend that <laughs> well, i guess so long as it's your own um yeah Ooh. amazing there was something else i wanted to say about yeah um tell us about commissioning work from uh, work abroad you know uh you have so much courage this is the thing that i'm picking up if there's a need you're not going to mess around you are going to meet that need you you are are not going to take no for an answer Hmm. and I think that is one of the things that inspires, you know, enables creation, doesn't mm. it? That it's mm. like you said, I didn't like any of the options I was given. Yes. So I looked for another one. And also, I'm going to make it work. Yeah. 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 That was actually something from uh, that my dad said to me um, before he passed away is if you have uh, if you have an idea, if you have a vision, if you have something that you believe in, don't hold back. Don't. Yeah. If somebody tells you no, if somebody is blocking you, tell them no back. Like, don't don't put anything in your way that's going to prevent you from getting to where you want to be. And based on on that belief, and it was very much a, a, it has to come from a passion, as opposed to you know I'm just doing it because I want to make money or whatever. 
Um, and so that was, I think, my driving factor mm-hmm. is I believe in this and I really believe in this mm-hmm. and I want to see this help people and make the world a little bit of a better place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't get me wrong, manufacturing and commissioning that is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I At this point, um, so my, my dad... Um, runs his own well had had a company that basically commissioned these kind of things from abroad uh, abroad all the time and for resale in the UK and like when he passed away I was like okay I now do not have anybody that I can just go uh how do I how do I do that when I when I can't even go over to to the factory and like see that they're actually who they say they are um and so a lot of it, I think, was a leap of faith. The one thing I will absolutely say to anybody considering it, put your money in an escrow account and don't let anybody have anything up front. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So so basically, I, I sourced out uh, a variety of different manufacturers. Um, I spoke to a lot of different um, people who were were manufacturing similar things by similar i mean out of stainless steel mm. um and i narrowed it and narrowed it and narrowed it the company that i ended up going with actually manufacture stainless steel um surgical instruments um so like scissors and forceps and scalpels and all this kind of stuff mm. Mm. um because it seemed more appropriate you know if we're using this um as an intervention for singing, we need to put it inside our mouth. Um, yeah. They at least had some idea of of the the safety protocols in place that need to be there to make sure that there's no cross contaminants and, yes. and things like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, I I suppose I might have been a little bit hot headed in that I kind of just said, "Yeah, this is what I want to do." can you do it? And they were like, yeah, we can do it. Here's some samples of it. And so I basically sent them technical drawings. They sent me some samples and I was like, hmm, that looks good. Here's my money. Um, I don't advise anybody do that. Um, What I advise is that you get samples from a range of different manufacturers as opposed to just one. uh, And, you know, really test the waters. Um, Get a translator if you do not speak the native language because there are inevitably going to be communication issues, Mm. which I encountered. Um, And just be really mindful that what what you provide them in terms of your technical drawings or ideas need to be protected. Um, protected both in the form of non-disclosure agreements, I mm-hmm. think are absolutely vital. But when you're talking about things that are outside the UK or US or EU, you need to also include um, an NNA, an NNNA agreement, um, or the A is the agreement. So non-disclosure, non-circumvention, and non-something, which basically means... Sure, if they sign a non-disclosure agreement, their laws, there's nothing to prevent them 
copying that device and selling it themselves, yes. even if they haven't disclosed your confidential information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, get all those agreements in place. And if it's a really good idea and you think you've really innovated something, patent it and mm-hmm. patent it as soon as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did all of those things in the wrong order. Um, <laughs> I did them relatively in the right order, I think, for the version two, at least. Um, but now what I've moved to is I have an on the ground agent um who is who lives in country who is able to like we we whatsapp like all the time we just send voice messages to each mm-hmm. other and she basically goes around sources all of the manufacturing partners because we've expanded a bit and so there's not just one there's like multiple that we need to communicate with mm-hmm. and so she does all of that groundwork for me and so it eliminates the need for like a translator because she is a translator it eliminates the need for me having to contact individual manufacturers because she is that person Mm. um so if you are considering manufacturing anything collaborate with somebody who knows the environment who knows the region and who knows the people Mm -hmm. um i think and and the culture and the culture and the culture absolutely Mm. i think it's really interesting just because in in the sort of popular mind world Somebody has an idea, mm. they, they create something and they sell it. And that's it. Mm. Um, you know, good for them. And mm. what you realise is when you're doing something like this, which involves manufacture, I mean, you know, we're authors, we, we create books, but there's still a whole load of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Once you start yeah. doing manufacture, in particular when you're manufacturing in, in something like metal, there are so many processes to go through and also mm. so many protections mm. to put in place because yeah. what you're doing is so special. And people are going to want it. People are going to want to copy it. People are going to want to take it. They're going to want to do all sorts of things because, unfortunately, that's human nature. Mm. So there's so much behind-the-scenes stuff that people mm. don't actually recognise even exists. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 also one of those things that um, people don't necessarily realise exist, but also people don't also realise that there is a cost associated with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every, you know, it's, it's kind of like, Oh, you know, it's, it's so cool. You've, you've created this, um, but you know, it, it's a little pricey or, you know, there's, there's, you know, why didn't you do it this way? Or mm-hmm. would you consider doing another color for instance? And it's just like, I mean, yeah, I would love to make it cheaper. I would love to do other colors. I would love to have this kind mm-hmm. of customizability. Um, but new colours cost money. New this costs money. So everything, it, it's all about trying to find that balance between is it necessary mm. or is it just, you know, does it provide a functional purpose or is it just for looks, yes. basically? I, and I kind of settled on the yes. colouring and I settled on this mm. as as yeah. kind of a middle ground, but the core is its functional purpose. Yes. Yeah. Um, I- I think what's interesting about this is that now we're almost talking entrepreneurship, aren't we? Because mm. you've created something. It's a very, very clear brand. Mm. And um, during the time when you couldn't sell because you were waiting for the next batch of manufacturing, what you very sensibly did, um, albeit maybe it was out of desperation, was you started <laughs> to educate your potential audience, yes. potential market. I also want to talk about the, the ebook that you wrote. Yeah. Because mm. that mm. came out before version two, didn't it? Right. It did, so yes. there is a free ebook available mm. Mm. that you wrote. Yes. And it's got some yeah. nice science in it. It does. Mm. Yeah. So actually, um, 
and I guess thank you for for endorsing that in in the way that you did because you wrote the Julianne you wrote the foreword for it um and the uh, it's it's changing now um so yes I I initially wrote the ebook um in sort of concert with the version one and it presented um the science and some practical techniques and exercises based on my understanding at the time Mm. Since I have been evolving the uh, version two, I've done a lot more in-depth analysis in terms of the physics mm. and actually what's going on within these kind of devices and tubes and you know whatever kind of tubular device it is. Mm. Um, and from that, there is a lot more um, science to be spoken about. And it's about how how do I make that both really detailed and really interesting for the people that are really keen on the science, but also how do I make that super accessible for the people that aren't? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the ebook at the moment is evolving. Um, so I'm rewriting aspects of it to update it in, to, to based on what I know now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm updating it based on the simulations and the data that I've gathered through my work. And I'm hoping to offer two versions of it, a hard copy version um, and then still the free yeah. ebook version if mm. people would like that as an mm. option. Um, because everybody loves a hard copy. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, there's some things here that you've kind of touched on. And, and obviously, I mean, you know, you, you're, we're not asking you to offer a training course here. But the sort of <laughs> questions that I have in my mind, I can remember... Um, a couple of um, pan-European voice conferences ago, there was a whole presentation on um, SOVT and uh, Ingo Tietze presented his work on uh, why he thinks it works so well and the impact on the vocal folds. And there was a debate about whether length matters. So um, uh-huh. Ingo Tietze was in, in the camp where actually the length isn't important. The lax vox people uh, were not in that camp and they said that they felt length did matter. And, you know, other questions I have in my mind, lax vox tends, I think, to use um, a silicon tube or a, a, a plastic tube. And I know that yep. when I blow into my Dr. Vox, which is made of silicon, it's a very different sensation from blowing down one of my biodegradable straws or yep. your metal straw. So a question in my mind is not only about length and width, but um, what the device is made of mm. and how, whether or not yes. that makes an impact. It absolutely does. And so this is this has really been the fundamental kind of questions underpinning the work that I'm doing at the moment in terms of my computer simulations and mathematical models of what's going on mm. in these uh, devices. And um, first of all, length does matter in these um, in this topic. Um, maybe that is controversial to some people, but if we look at the physics of what's going on, um, what we're talking about, the, the fundamental underpinning of how you calculate the resistance is you take the input resistance or the input pressure and output pressure Mm -hmm. and you find the difference or you find the drop between them. And so you say that the tube is, has a pressure drop of whatever the value is, and that is your resistance value. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about it in this way, if you have a longer tube, sure you know if you have a longer tube with a fixed diameter 
the pressure drop isn't going to be that much. And so in that situation, I appreciate that the argument might be that length doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because you're purely focusing on the aperture. When you have a tube that does something else, either putting it in water, for instance, or having, you know, expansions and contractions like our tube does, then length does become really important Mm -hmm. because across that length, we're looking at how the tube starts in terms of diameter and how it ends. Mm -hmm. If the starting diameter is larger than the ending diameter, then you're going to have a greater pressure drop because you have a greater pressure, significantly greater pressure Mm -hmm. at one end and a a lower pressure at the other end. You get a greater pressure drop as a result Mm -hmm. and you get increased resistance as a result. Um, So length, I think, does matter just depending on what device and what specifically you're trying to target. In terms of material properties, though, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting, I don't think it matters... I don't think it matters too much. It depends on the airflow. Um, Stainless steel is a very smooth material. Mm. And so, you know, if you're looking at the the micro level, the impurities in in the surface finish are just tiny. Mm. If you're looking at something like uh, biodegradable paper, you've got... Um, fibres and things that kind of jut out on the microscopic level, which will impact the airflow across the boundary layers. And so you might get some more turbulence in that airflow, which would increase the resistance. Um, Silicon materials will do the same, but then obviously everything is now in accordance to the diameter. Typically, the silicon tubes that we use are wider in diameter. Mm. And so there is less interaction of the air across the boundary because more of it is just passing through the Uh centre. It's the percentage, Um, isn't it? That makes sense. Yes. Percentage of width. Good. Well, that was an exciting answer. (laughs) Okay. You know what? I think we should take a little break here. We've already had so much content. Why don't we split the podcast in two and deal with the fascinating questions that are coming up, our wonderful AMAs, in the next half? Because basically there's more to be shared, isn't there? Okay. So this is part one, and this deals with the science behind SOVT and also Aaron's background. And part two coming up will be the Ask Me Anything questions, and we have some great questions lined up. To be continued. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr Gillian Kayes and Jeremy Fisher.